lovely humans. I'm Wyo Lee, and you're listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we talk about intimate interactions in an effort to improve sex lives everywhere. And I am very excited to introduce to you our guest today is a real expert in the field. Welcome, Tim Norton. Oh, thank you for having me. Wait, should I call you Tim or Timothy? Um, are you mad at me? <laughs> no? <laughs> Tim is fine. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Will you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your credentials? Sure. So I'm a sex therapist. I have an office. I have two offices, one in Silver Lake, which is a neighborhood in Los Angeles, and another one in West LA. And so I have a degree in psychology and a master's degree in clinical social work and and just a lot of a lot of training, a lot of there's a lot of extra schooling after after grad school to become a sex therapist. There's a lot of kind of very personal, you know, one on one training. So yeah, that's that's my that's my story. I do want to know a little bit about what that training is like, but I also want to tell listeners that Tim has a podcast called Hard Conversations. Will you tell them a little bit about it? I do, I do. So most people would say it's a podcast about erectile dysfunction, but as we established really early on, we, we don't like to use the word dysfunction. So it's, it's a lot about erectile issues. It's, mm-hmm. it's a podcast about penises. It's, um, you know, there's, there's a lot out there that's really, really pushing Viagra and, you know, different generic erectile medication these days. And so it's, it's a voice to balance that, you know, cause we talk, we, treated erectile issues for a very long time without medication and and did so very effectively and especially in certain circumstances. And I feel like that voice has really been lost. Mm. And yet it's still really important to look at things like anxiety and relationship problems and trauma. So got a lot of experts on, I think we're up to 18 episodes so far and a lot of different voices. Um, Had some porn stars on there. I've had a urologist on there. I've had people who knew a lot about the medications and surgeries and a couple of fairly well-established psychologists and some other sex therapists. And uh, yeah, it's been great. What was it originally that got you inspired to start the actual podcast? Well, early on in my sex therapy training career, you know, early on, I I remember one of the lectures that I attended or, or one of the case consultations and the supervisor was saying, you know, this is actually for a lot of guys, it's really easy to treat. And a lot of times they'll see results like within a couple of sessions and then the actual therapy begins and you're actually talking about like all the underlying issues and everything, but don't be surprised if that happens. And I was just really struck by that. Like how, how could that be? Yeah. Um, and then it happened. And then I, I had a couple of clients like that and I was just like, and I started reading about it and looking at the research and everything. And I was like, gosh, you know, people should know this, yeah. <laughs> you know, people, people should have access to this information and obviously not. Not everybody, not every guy, but but lots of guys, and so I wanted to just. And then I read this other like really um, bummer of a statistic that a very high percentage of guys who struggle with it don't get treatment. They yeah. just and I I started to within the first couple of years I'd get a call. Guy would have very awkward conversation, you know. So I want to schedule an appointment, and then after a while I could just okay, are you coming in for, for erectile issues? And he said, yeah. And we get through this, you know, and usually a tough story, marriage problems, girlfriends, you know, break, breakups, relationships, ending, things like that. 
And then he wouldn't show up to the session. Uh, and and then I'd be like, oh man. Ever? Yeah. No, just no show, no call, maybe some excuse. Like, you know, I had to make it to the bank before or something really random. Yeah. And I just started to really be able to tell, okay, these guys, they're never going to talk to anybody about this. Mm-hmm. So I figured why not just put out a podcast to make it, you know, demonstrate that therapy or these kinds of conversations were actually not so hard, not so difficult to have with some normalizing voices, some people who would just, you know, talk about dicks and erections and this is what happens when they go away and they come back and and all the things that you hear in a sex education community or a sex therapy community on a regular basis, but you might not be able to get from top 10 reasons why your boner doesn't like you, you know, articles on, on wired or something like that. Um, to just get a real human normalizing voice. Um, that was, that was the plan. And I feel like I've done it. I feel like I, it's like, I've had a couple of episodes where I was like, I really hope that guys get to hear that guys who are struggling with this. Cause it's, it's what we know. and, And it's really all they need to know. They just need to remember it. They need to internalize it. They might need to, visit some of the themes with an actual therapist or a coach, but they also might be able to just listen to it with their partner. Right. And like, just get really real and honest about it and, and deal with it. When a client comes to visit you for the first time, and you said you have often seen or experienced improvement in Mm -hmm. terms of symptoms right Mm -hmm. away, but then they continue to work with you. How does that, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? Like, what is that? If I'm like, okay, I want to, I'm curious about sex therapy. What's the process like? Well, well, sometimes they don't. You know, sometimes, hey, thanks, and and see ya. Um, But other times, you know, within the first session, I'll have gotten their life story, you know, and a lot of times their their sexual story. You know, it's it's one of the first things you do is, okay, tell me about the first person you kissed and the first time you masturbated and really wonderful stories. I just just asked for my curiosity. (laughs) I'm not trying to get anywhere. I'm just like, tell me anyway. Yeah. That would be probably your favorite part of it is, is that first time. And it's, it's really nice and people get really nostalgic. Um, but along the way, you know, we're, we learn about family trauma and learn about the things that have happened to them and early sexual experiences and, and current anxieties, work anxiety and having kids and things like that. And so a lot of times that anxiety that they're experiencing that's affecting their erections uh, might be kind of a complicated thing to unravel and to learn how to cope with. So even though they might have some immediate effects in the bedroom, you know, people regress, people relapse, and then they just have other anxieties that are really debilitating that show up in other aspects of their lives. So, you know, I'll say, hey, you came in for erection stuff that's going pretty well. These are some other things that we can work on or you can totally take a break and, mm. you know, but we'd have to establish another therapeutic goal here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't want to necessarily keep somebody in forever just, just to have, you know, clients, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's and kind so, of a tough business model. <laughs> yeah. 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 I if you're, if you you're, goodbye. if you're good at therapy, you're, you're putting yourself out of business. You're, yeah. you're, um, you're, you're, you're making, you're giving people the tools to be able to deal with the stuff on their own. What are some examples of the types of goals that you might outline for treatment? Are they pretty cut and dry? Like they might be obvious, like I'd like my penis to be hard or is it other, are there variations? Oh, it could be anything, you know, because sometimes like like that, that's, that's a tough one to really hone in on. Um, But something like better communication with a partner or Mm -hmm. better work-life balance or um, 
participating in hobbies more, mm. spending more time with family, spending less time with family, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. meditating. I, I see sometimes the effects that I see from people who would just meditate or who get an app like Headspace or Calm or 10% happier or whatever are, are so compelling. I'm like, why am I even bothering? I should just become a meditation instructor. As a shout out from my own anecdotal experience, yeah. uh, just to listeners on the podcast, I my sex life improved dramatically when I started meditating. Now I meditate twice a day. I'm coming up on a 500 day streak on Headspace. Oh, good for you. Yeah. So, and I've been meditating consistently for about three and a half, it'll be four years in August now. So awesome. just, it changed my life in a huge, huge way. And it's not, you know, like it's not those, it's not an instant thing, but it is a very clear thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And so sometimes setting little goals like that, or that's actually a big goal, but even, even just having the accountability, mm -hmm. you know, the person's going to come in in a week or two and say, I didn't download Headspace. And, yeah. um, Thinking about it, that that helps, and a lot of people will do their homework the night before, yeah. you know, and <laughs> and, and and that could be an individual goal. Couples will will set sex goals, you know, mm. gonna do it like once a month, once a week, uh, or we're just gonna make time for intimacy. We're going to um, go to go to the, ch the pleasure chest, you know, go to a yeah. toy store, and um, or we're just gonna make time to talk, you yeah. know, and just hang out and get to know each other again, go on a date. Yeah. Um, so, you know, or explore childhood issues, you know, write the letter to mom, write the letter to dad, like heavier things yeah. too. figure out career direction. You know, you can set goals like that as well. Amazing. Yeah. I also would love for you to outline for our listeners, the difference between dysfunction and, and whatever else it is that we say issues or, yes. well, so I think of dysfunction as a medical term. Mm -hmm. So if somebody had, you know, falls off his bike or something and breaks his penis or something like that, it's dysfunctional. It's not working. Um, if somebody has a heart condition and it's literally just there's not blood that can flow into his penis. I, I'm fine calling that dysfunction. Um, but a lot of the time, and I, I'm, I'm like totally plagiarizing. I probably, I, I probably heard a dozen different therapists say this. Um, when your penis isn't getting hard, it might be doing, it might not be getting hard because it doesn't want to. Because you don't want to, because there's something about this situation. Sure, you might want to have sex with this person theoretically, but you don't feel sexy. You don't feel relaxed or, or turned on or, or excited in the way that you want to feel excited. You might, you might have a little anxiety, but it might be, you know, there might be police helicopters flying over and you, you've never heard those before yeah. or something. I mean, who knows what? Or you might remember the last time that you were in this situation and then your penis didn't work and you might be in your head about it. And so your body is getting the message that it doesn't, this is not the time for an erection. This might be the time to run out the door, you know, or this yeah. might be the time to get in a fight or something or to just freeze up. Um, but that's not a dysfunction. Right. That's your body saying, okay, this is not the time for sex. And when it is a time for sex, your penis works fine. When that guy masturbates in the morning, when he's relaxed, he's at home, there's no danger anywhere, his penis works. That's yeah. not a dysfunction. So, 
It's so interesting because as I'm hearing you talk, I am reflecting upon sort of the, I'm going to make some generalizations here. Good. Generalizing. That's that's what we need. Just just saying. (laughs) I just think about how we hear over and over again how sex is so emotional for women, how it's, you know, really have to be in the right emotional state. But it sounds like there could, in fact, be some similarities between women and men in that place. It's just like we have... So I guess I, I guess my question is, do why men is it, have emotions? <laughs> <laughs> like, why is it so hard for us societally to acknowledge that? I don't expect you to have the answer, but why is it so hard for us to talk about penises and hardness and flaccidness and not yeah. hardness? I know when I've been with people and suddenly they're not hard, particularly before a few years ago, I did not know how to respond. Right. So I just didn't talk about it. Right. Um, there are cultural reasons, you know, when you talk about the origins of masculinity and in lots of societies, you know, and it, I think an anthropologist might speak to it or, or debate it, but a lot of men, a lot, a lot of societies or a lot of cultures don't want to see men emotional or, or haven't until quite recently. It's kind of a tough time mm-hmm. to be on the, in the transition period of that. Um, the evolutionary psychologists I've, I've read will say something along the lines of, you know, the men who showed weakness were left behind or, you know, were the first ones to be left out of the tribe when there, there weren't enough resources for everybody. And we kind of adapted that way. Um, if you think about, you know, the men who are at war, they're, they're, they're not looking at each other. They're not intimate. They're side by side looking out to see if there are oncoming attackers in there. That feels like such a small part of the story to me, though. <laughs> I know. Because, like, what are the generals doing in their tent by themselves? Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or the no, general and his supporters. Like, right. we, don't, we don't know. But I don't know. If you've ever watched two men try to have a conversation, yeah. it's pretty rare to be knee to knee, especially when they first meet. Yeah. You know, and you really watch their body language. There's... It's it's a long time before that intimacy develops, and, and just non not, not not sensual intimacy, but just the, the kinds of things where you make eye contact. Yeah, and, and it feels like there, in some ways, has to be a certain set of circumstances in place to even allow for that connection in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, even between lovers, though, why? And you've it sounds like you've worked with a number of couples. Mm-hmm. Have any of them come in with extensive communication abilities with around sex or how have you seen those communication abilities affect their sex life? Well, I've seen the gamut. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who have great sex lives and great communication and great relationships and they for some reason come to sex therapy. They just want to make it better, you know, and they want to make sure they're doing all the right things. And and I learned from them about good communication. You know, it's it's really inspiring to see it modeled and, and to just see people uh, work out their their idiosyncratic ways of communicating. Um, there's only so much you can get in a book from that. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a dance yeah. and it's very, very personal. Um, and then on the other end of that spectrum is our, our couples who, yeah, are, are as bad or, or you know, worse than you may think. And, and just, you, it, get the sense that outside of that hour in that week, they don't talk. They don't talk about anything remotely intimate or significant, even if that's what we're talking about. So you've got to talk about this at home and, and this stuff's got to come up and, you know, you don't want a third person in the room all the time when you're having these conversations, but they never had it modeled. They, that might be enough of an answer. You know, they, they just really don't know. 
And they don't have the tools. They didn't see them. They, they saw probably really bad models of communication, especially by our standards today. Right. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, they might come from uh, a family where the parents are still married. And so they might look at it as pretty, quote unquote, healthy communication because right. the parents, you know, created a family and then for you know, presumably the parents did the best they could. Mm-hmm. So who are we to say? But they want to do a little bit better. So that's what we're going to work on. What about in terms of, and again, this is not, this is a generalization question. Uh-huh. Men's abilities to talk about their own penises. Uh-huh. What is that like? Like, what is it like to have those introductory conversations with men? Um, or show the gamut? I yeah. Yeah. I think in general, you'd be surprised. I think by the time the guy has worked up the energy, the courage to come in and do this, they're actually pretty good at it. Mm. You know, I think a lot of that work of preparing for it happens behind the scenes and Mm -hmm. I don't even really Mm -hmm. see it. It's actually only occasionally where, you know, I'll get phrases like, so it doesn't do its thing, you know, or really vague and, and I'll kind of, then that's a dance too, like your penis. Right. Can we say that? Yeah. And then getting permission to have those conversations. But most of the time, you know, they're they they're going to spend that money on, on therapy, on sex therapy. And they're going to open up to a quote unquote stranger. Um, they're they're kind of in the zone, you know, so it goes better than you might think. That makes No, I think that actually makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. OK, something that I do want to ask you about, and I've talked with a couple female guests on this podcast, and we are uncertain about how to address talking about size, ah. particularly when it is a smaller size. Should we address it? Do men talk about their size with you? Uh, they do. Up? Yeah. yeah. OK. For a second, I thought you might ask, do men talk about size with each other? And do they? No, no. Men do not talk with each other about any of this stuff. Um, is there truth to the locker room idea of like looking over just to see what's happening over there? Or do, are they pretty like eyes down? Like how many locker rooms have you been in? Like, what are I, <laughs> I've only been in one and I was in a, in a, in an interesting school where we didn't take showers. God, yeah. it must've been so stinky. Um, I didn't see a lot no, of my, penises. Mine didn't, my high school didn't have showers. Yeah. Maybe they did, but nobody used nobody them. Nobody used them. Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that I haven't been in that many okay. locker rooms. Okay. Um, But so the question about, yeah, men talking to each other, it's like the other intimate thing that we were talking about. It takes Mm -hmm. a while, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes us particularly, I don't want to say an evolved man, you know, I don't want to put these into categories or anything like that, but it's just, it's rare for guys to really open up about a lot of this stuff. So certainly not. So they might talk about size and be unevolved in other, like there's different. Right, right, right. Um, But to answer that question, that's a tough question, you know. I think that there's been some good information out there about the fact that the, some of the parts of the vagina that experience pleasure uh, most intensely, whether it's going to be a G spot or just areas, they're not that far back. Yeah. You know, it's just a couple of inches back mm-hmm. there. And it's pretty rare that somebody's that small. And, and if, if they are, then, you know, that's going to be a whole other thing that people deal with. But yeah. um, even being on the smaller end of that, like, hey, if that's an aspect of sexual incompatibility, we we can be sexually incompatible in so many ways. Um, It could be sense and motions and body types and all kinds of things. So I think oftentimes people just 
don't talk about that stuff. If the sex just isn't going well, then the sex isn't going well. And mm-hmm. whatever we focus on, like the, that's a really hard thing to overcome. Yeah. Um, well, and like if I'm with a person, theoretically, I've never been with anyone that that I found small. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't know how to give a compliment or say an appreciation or because I would be so self-conscious about it ringing false. Yeah. And so then that creates like this panic inside of me. Uh And then I feel like it creates a panic loop because we're both just like anxious about like, and I'm like, no, I want it to go well. I don't care about your size, but also I don't want to talk about your size. Like, yeah. Well, as you say that, I'm thinking about the fact that I think a lot of women definitely are familiar with, body consciousness and going through those issues and developing that ability to love their bodies um, in adulthood. And maybe girls these days are doing that even earlier on, but it's the same thing for, for men, especially if they are self-conscious about something like that. So not the same thing, like they they experience the world differently, Mm -hmm. but internally, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, you can, a lot of women I'm sure could, empathize with some aspect yeah. of, of, of being ashamed of some body part or area. And so how would you like to be talked to about something like that? You know, would, if he was going to bring up, well, I noticed, you know, something, any, anything, it just feels like, I don't want to touch that. Right. So like, yeah, like was a dude going to be like, Oh, I love your jiggly bit. <laughs> right. Like to me, I'd be like, yes, but that's because I'm explicitly right now. Like I'm wiggling online every day, like in my underwear, just like wiggling, uh-huh. live streaming in an effort to like, be like, Hey, look, this part of my body's good too. Right. So for me, fine. But for most people, they're not going to want to hear like, Oh babe, your rolls are so hot. Right. You know, same principle. Yeah. Like it's very personal. You're going to have to work that out. Like yeah. I, I can't imagine somebody really trying to tackle that without a deep connection, right? you know, without like a really tender love. And then at that point you can give a very sincere compliment, Yeah, right? You can say, I love everything about your penis. And you can say things like, you can address the size and then you can try to get the story from him. Like, what's that been like? And yeah. try to empathize and everything. And maybe he's already there. I mean, he's like, I love my penis for whatever size it is. I don't care. And it brings me so much joy. That you don't know. We had a guest on here whose small partner asked her how he compared to other men. Oh. And she was like, I didn't, I think she didn't answer or something. Yeah. Because like, what do you say in that circumstance? I'd be like, how do you feel about it? Who cares about other people? Yeah. Well, my, (laughs) you know, sex therapy brain goes to all kinds of places. Right. Right. So it's, there are no men who haven't seen porn. Mm-hmm. Right now, like they try to do studies where you have control groups. Like, what are these men like who watch porn every day compared to these men who've never seen? We, we don't have a control group for men who've never seen any porn like that. Yeah, we can't it's do the research. Liars, <laughs> right, a group of liars, <laughs> group of people who live who were born and raised out in the mountains somewhere. Uh, yeah. Um, so the guy has seen lots of penises, yeah. presumably. So what's he doing there? Is right. he inviting a conversation about intimacy and then just like? how do I talk about this? I want to know if she's thinking about it. I want to know if she accepts this or does he have a fetish? Does, does he want to be humiliated? Does he want to have that? Does does he want her to say something kind of insulting or maybe he doesn't even know that he wants that, but he's kind of always been into that and he even doesn't even know that's a thing. So I would go those two places first. Yeah. Interesting. 
Uh, on the note of porn, you in one of your episodes, you are discussing whether or not someone can be actually addicted to it. Do you, will you share a little bit about that? Just a snippet? Yeah. Uh, addiction is a, is a very highly debated word. Um, I'm going to a sex therapy conference next week, and there's two camps. And everybody at the camp of the conference that I'm going to next week are pretty much saying sex addiction is not a thing. Porn addiction you know, it's funny. I, I had a I had a neuroscientist on my podcast, and she's saying if you think about it, masturbation in front of a screen is really different than sex. So it lights up different parts of the brain. It engages different parts of the brain, and it's really not like an addiction to cocaine, where you're putting a substance into your body and you're developing chemical shifts are occurring. It's really not as that similar to alcohol. Um, there are some some remarkable things where guys, if they're doing it often enough, they might need a couple of screens at the same time. Um, what? Yeah. What, like more screens? Sure, what? and like more intense and like kinkier stuff and and all oh, kinds of you know and holding their breath and edging and and you know taking drugs while doing it and, and getting more and more like intense. Viagra drugs or like drug drugs oh no, no like like uh, poppers or like some, something like oh, that so yeah. but then like the sex positive camp would be saying well they're just exploring and they're just having hotter masturbation time and they're just like leave them alone mm. and my first criteria is, is it causing problems? Right. Like if you can't not masturbate at work, I'm okay saying the word addiction. I'm okay. Like what that does in terms of getting you some resources, getting you in some literature, that's going to get you some awareness about what's going on. If you don't identify as an addict, I'm not going to call you an addict. Um, but if, if you don't want to have sex with people anymore and you're skipping events and hangouts and, and happy hours and family parties and things like that. Cause you just want to masturbate the porn. And okay. That, mm. That's an issue. There's, mm -hmm. there's consequences, there's ramifications, but if you're balancing it, if you're doing it in healthy ways or just ways that you feel good about. And, and the only shame is stuff that you've heard other people criticize you and you don't really feel anything's wrong with it. How about it? Is there any evidence to suggest that watching super dark porn, which theoretically is staged in certain ways, so like asphyxiation stuff for things ah. that are like, that would be dangerous in real life, is that, but say someone does not, is not interested in actually engaging in it, but gets off on kind of the visual fantasy being played out, is that, how, how does that fall into our health categories? Um, long story short, it's fine. Okay. A lot of people have fantasies about things that they're never going to do. Um, this really interesting study came out. It's a really easy study to run, but it was just a survey of all the crazy stuff that you're into, all, all the, the paraphilias, all, all, the, all the fun, kinky stuff that you're into. And when they, they did the numbers and they compared it to the DSM, they compared it to the, the, the book that everybody uses to determine whether or not somebody has a mental illness. It's called the DSM. Um, all of the, there, it was, there were like 60% of people had something that qualified for a paraphilia for something that wasn't considered within the normal, quote unquote, normal range of sexual um, practices. But the problem with it being 60% 
is that's more. <laughs> yeah, that's the majority. <laughs> yeah, that's the majority. So that's not, that's no longer a paraphilia. I'll never forget the name of the study because I learned a, a new word. It's normophilic oh, at that yeah, point. Yeah. And so, and, then, and it's funny, the authors were like, well, we've just got to come up with more categories. <laughs> and I wanted to write them and say, just stop. Like, just give up. <laughs> like, people are just into kinky erotic stuff and we yeah. barely understand why. Just let them do it if they're not hurting anybody. Oh, I love that we barely understand why. Is there some some research on that? that There's research on it, but think about how you're going to run that right. study. Like, <laughs> it, maybe in, in the Truman Show, if you have camera of somebody from the time that they're born and see all the little traumas that they have when they're one and they're two right. and they're three and they're four. You know, Freud's theory was that one day they were um, at their mom's card game and they were under the table and, and they were really nervous and there were all these feet around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to prove that. Totally, totally. You know, maybe someday we'll have the neuroscientific ability to look in some brain and see memories and things mm. like that. But right now it's very theoretical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And every now and then people do remember the moment. Yeah. You know, I was I was spanked and I could see the girl I had a crush on was across the street, like watching me for I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. And they spanking for the rest of their life. But that's rare. Yeah. Like yeah. We're always conjecturing and just, you know, kind of thinking, okay, man, maybe probably, but we don't know. That's interesting because I so I identify as kinky and I'm a submissive and a lot of people because I share that pretty freely and so there have been a handful of people that are like oh like in the, with this uh-huh. implication that something <laughs> bad had happened yeah. to me at one point but I am very fortunate in that I was raised in a really loving stable environment I've never experienced sexual assault or trauma that I identify and I just like love exploring and being curious and yeah. you know so I feel like when people start looking for that deeper reason sometimes I'm like oh no and it's really kind of an unfortunate cultural trope that, that we we learn from watching Dr. Phil or, you know, some of those older shows that, you know, A, I, I, I have this thing, and B, what happened to you? Yeah. That that's this thing that we do, and it, psychology doesn't exactly work that way. What we're learning is we're influenced by culture. We're influenced by environment. We're influenced by friends. We change at puberty. We change in adulthood. And things are complicated. Speaking of influence and societal influences, I want to ask how you think or if there's any information on how drugs like Viagra have Uh influenced our interactions. Oh, man. Where, where, yeah, where to start? Because so, you touched on it in, yeah. in the beginning and talking about how it's marketed to us. Yeah, and more and more aggressively all the time. So Viagra came out in 98. Um, so if you think about that right off the bat, that means we've got 20 years of data, which is kind of cool, but kind of not. You know, for guys, like, let's say there are a lot of guys who are just going to start using Viagra now in their 20s and 30s. I and, have some friends who have. Right. Yeah. And so they, and if they're in their 20s, they might have another 30, 40, 50 years of sexuality yeah. ahead of them. And they literally, we don't have any data on what that's going to mean for them, especially if they're going to do it on a regular basis. Right. Um, I've met guys who have, who started right when it came out. And it doesn't work anymore. Uh, oh, really? It just does not. Um, for, for that long-term use, like like with any drug, we know this about drugs. Right. You need more and more over with time, with, with any drug. 
almost literally any drug. So, and the higher the doses of something like a Viagra, you start to get pretty unpleasant side effects. What Most are some guys, side effects? Well, you get like just head stuff, you know? Sometimes you, it'll affect your vision. Like, that, that's pretty rare, but like headaches oh. and ringings and, and things like it's, that. It's and, increasing blood flow and... That's all my understanding of it is. Yeah, okay. and, and nitric oxide. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. really? Yeah, which is a, a really important part of, of the erectile process. But um, yeah, so we don't know at, at best, and mm. it's and you're running an experiment on your body, mm -hmm. um, and there are definitely other ways to achieve erections. Um, so, can you talk about a couple of those? I can, I can. Or did I answer your question about the Viagra influence and everything though? I mean, Oh it's, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it forever just because on a broader level too, it feels like it is very acceptable. And you were mentioning about how people aren't necessarily sharing with their partners when they're using it. Yeah. And some of the effects it can have long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is, that is a big problem. I mentioned that on, on my podcast. Um, when, you know, you go on a date and a lot of guys are using Viagra or, or any of the other ones. We can just say Sildenafil is, is the generic. They, um, they use it as an insurance drug. Hey, I really like this girl and maybe we're going to have sex tonight and we do have sex and let's make sure just have a great boner and, and then work out the rest of it later. Well, then month into the relationship, they try sex without Viagra and it doesn't work. And then they're just kind of stuck. And so then girlfriend or boyfriend has this partner with these pretty impressive boners um, for the duration of their relationship. And the longer they date, he's either got to up the dose. First of all, he's got to afford it. He's got to be able yeah. to, you know, and it stopped being covered by insurance a few years ago. And oh, um, there are generics out now, but then sometimes you can't get those, whatever. So you got to be able to afford it. And then he's got to be able to time it. And he's got to be able to hide these pills from someone that might be living with him. Oh and, my God. Right. And so it's, then it's like this secret, yeah. you know, that you don't really want to have ongoing secrets with a partner. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's kind of like a low key lie sorts and people feel guilty about that. And then, you know, when they come into me, like we usually prep for the conversation about it and, and then she feels it's, it feels like betrayal right, on some level. It's a mess. Okay, I know you can't talk about specific things that have happened with clients, but is there perhaps an amalgamation or a general trend around those conversations that happen with upset partners or kind of outcomes? Yeah, they get really upset, yeah. really upset. And why couldn't you be honest with me? And yeah. why didn't you think you couldn't be honest with me? And um, at that point, it's good to just normalize it. Okay, look, as, as much as we're being kind of tough on men these days, it is still kind of hard to be a man sexually. And I think, I just want to say out loud, I think it's insane how we have begun this shift to be more aware of toxic, you know, toxic aspects of masculinity. And I think what's been bothering me is this expectation on behalf of everybody that we suddenly should be perfect without any adjustment period. Right. And that's hard. It's really hard. I mean, that's insane. It is. It is. It, it, Guys aren't going to be able to do it. <laughs> like no, it's, just, it's, it's like yeah. the, the least emotionally developed sector of like the like <laughs> well, people, just, you know, like right. the white males that have been privileged, like they're the least prepared for this adaptation and they're being asked to change immediately. 
And I'm not saying their behavior is okay. I'm just saying I think we all need to have compassion around those shifts and help them instead of just like yell at everybody. Right. And even short of compassion, just patience. Yeah. Like it's it's going to take time. And so these kinds of conversations, like I, I try to get the partner in and say, look, guys do this. Mm-hmm. They, it, sure it's a lie, but try and put yourself in his position. And if like, let's say you didn't lubricate ever, or you really struggled with it, or it just didn't happen. And, you know, and there was a way that you could just could, and then it wasn't an issue. Right. And it's like, take a little pill or something like that and try to create that empathy and an explanation of backstory and maybe even talk about the early trauma and like the heartbreak and the embarrassment and all of that and try to develop and then it can bring them closer. Okay, sweetie. And use all the Viagra you want, or maybe we'll figure out how to have sex without Viagra and then we'll just have it on, on vacation weekends or something like that. And, and and we fix it, but it's, it's awkward. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, and and now guys are going to it as a first kind of treatment, like a first option before. And I hate this. So Hims, there there are two guy, there are two ads out right now. I think it's from Hims. There are billboards around the city. Hims puts out a generic Viagra, and, and you can buy it online. You can see a urologist online, and and you don't actually see the urologist. I went through it to see what it's like. You, what? So for like. 50 bucks or something like that, they'll mail you the Viagra. You never really have to interact with a doctor. You never really have to talk to anybody about it. And then you'll just get pills and they try to set you up on a monthly plan right away. So, and there's ads oh. all over town for this. And one of the ads says, you don't have to have an awkward conversation. Try our drug. Like, oh, and, and I just want to burn it down. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with you? There's That's, nothing so awful yeah. about talking about this. So, and that's, and they're blowing up. They're, they're, they're a model of like how to have a quick startup telehealth kind of situation that's really lucrative and um, really, you know, identify. And it feels like they're targeting uh, millennials. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that makes Uh, total sense. Holy cow. And again, I don't have anything wrong with sildenafil and Viagra no, Cialis, can you maybe, For people who don't know, maybe just outline some steps that they might attempt visiting first before. Well, yeah. I check in with, it's, it's really hard to come to a level of awareness that you might have some anxiety. And so don't use the word anxiety. Think about how often you go into high alert for a sustained period of time. And that could be really normal activities for you just working. You know, how often, you know, if you think about when a boss needs something from you, you might have some extra adrenaline running through your veins. Now, our bodies don't like to do that for really long periods of time. Then they need to relax. They need to replenish. So think about your days. And is it eight hours a day like that? And then you're doing other things with kids and friends and lots of obligations for four hours after that. And and are you just always in high alert? Technically, we might call that uh, anxiety. So we're going to look at ways of getting you out of that high alert and really enjoyable, fulfilling things that you want to do. It could be, you know, getting massage, like going and, oh, and yeah. be making model airplanes, like anything that really lets your body know, hey, we don't have to have all this adrenaline pouring through us, which leads to long-term health effects. Right. Um, so let's, let's say maybe we can enjoy life 
for him. And that's, that's the theme driving that. So anxiety reduction techniques would be among some of the first things that I do. Um, learning how to have conversations with your partner about um, sex, yeah, really just about sex. And they can be, they can be playful. You know, you, you listen to a podcast like this yeah. and, and just see what it's like to just have open conversations about sexuality and, and start trying and you know, fumble around. I will say I've had a lot of listeners write to me and let me know that uh, they've been listening with their partner and it's led to some very sexy explorations. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's another really good way um, because that will, once you have those breakthroughs and you have those things and you just get those things off your chest, anxiety goes down. You were wondering this thing for weeks and months, maybe years, and then they tell you like, oh, no, this is fine, or I like this, or just slow down here. They're like, oh, gosh, great. Yeah. Weight lifted. It's amazing. Now now there's space for sexiness and that kind of intimacy. So that, that's really, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the pill, you pop it, and then you, it's almost like you can just stay clenched in your anxious place. Mm. And, and then the boner will still come, even though your body's saying, well... This isn't a really sexy situation, and which is also really confusing to a partner over a long period of time. If you think about it, it a lot of, especially younger men will, will be able to get hard in very, in situations where they've just had like a fight or there's like a bunch of like silence between them and things like that. And so when he stops, there might be a dynamic in the room where he can't get an erection anymore, but she or he will say, well, but you always could, Yeah, you know, even when we were fighting or even when I was doing this or you were doing that, like you still got her hard and like, what's going on? Yeah. Okay. This is occurring to me. <laughs> what if someone suspects their male partner of using a, a Viagra type drug yeah. Should they initiate a conversation around it? Or what if they wanted to? Let's say, hey, I think my partner's using this drug but hasn't shared that with me. Is there a way I can bring it up? Right. I'm trying to imagine those circumstances. Well, it would be important how they felt about it. Mm. Um, if they were going to be, you know, really bummed out about it, about the, the, the secrecy or the lie or whatever, um, or they're just actually really sexually very open and they just don't really care and they're just a little yeah. confused. Or if they're like, hey, babe, why are you keeping this from Right. If you are. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's hard. You know, it really depends on, on your dynamic. But I'm, I, I'm really asking because I used to hook up with this dude ages ago before I was meditating, <laughs> before I was aware of my body. And I, it was when I first, we would have like three hours of him just like, fucking me and mm. to the point where around two and a half hours I'd be like you have 30 more minutes and then I'm done okay because like I was getting tired right, and so right. I would like use lube and, and it was very fun for me to just because I like body experiences and that was around the time that I started um because it was such a long amount of time I would sort of drop into my body in a way that I hadn't with other casual partners because I was a little bit more nervous or anxious and not able to identify that that's what it was at that point mm -hmm. but so with him I would have these like 
I call them visions, but it's like it's almost like a synesthetic experience, maybe. Hmm. But it's it, my eyes are closed, but I'm like visualize. It's almost like when your computer does those cool light show things, but they would like form a castle or a city or mm. a tree or just you know, and there'd be kind of fireworky type thing. It's just behind my eyes when they're closed. And so I just always was wondering if he was using something or not, and I didn't care that much, but I was just like. This is crazy. What's yeah. happening? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's hard with a casual partner. You don't usually get to have yeah, those kinds we never of did. conversations was, yeah. about things. So, yeah, it's hard to advise on, on that kind of thing. But if it's a long term partner, and like if you guys, I don't know why you didn't take it into a more intimate long term thing. But if you do, then I I, I like the idea of just bro making it clear that you're okay with it and so it comes up it's on tv shows and things like that and even you could say you know what i heard that my friend tried viagra sex with her her boyfriend and they loved it like let's get some something yeah. like that and then he's got a choice well i just happen to have some yeah um or okay i like that idea and then maybe it can just evolve into evolve. when he's I telling you yeah um but just the the theme there is normalizing it sex positivity yeah good with it good what does dan savage say ggg good game giving yeah um just okay if, if that's what you want to do because then then it's nice then you can say well sweetie you're taking that kind of often like let's just I don't, I don't know if that's a great idea and so we'll do it every other time and you know explore other things if you don't have a hard penis that night and and then it's a couple's totally. decision i love that yeah something i've been wondering about in terms of sex therapy in general is accessibility. Mm -hmm. Would you say there's a general trend in socioeconomic status of your clients? I would. Because it's not, is it covered by any sort of healthcare provider? You know, for the first time recently, I heard about a client telling his provider directly that I was a sex therapist. And we'll see how that goes. But generally, no. Right. Generally, no. And it's not even that it's um, it, it's also just a supply and demand thing. There aren't that many of us. But do you think it's because of stigma or because? Yeah. And because there's no, there are sliding scale clinics that are, that cover the broader topics. Right. But there's no state funded social program to like go to a hood and give young men sex therapy. Right. No. Yeah. And we're so far, honestly, when we're on the right track, we won't even have sex therapists right. anymore. Therapists will all know how to talk about sex. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is there? Why does there need to be a distinction? Exactly. We could have a whole podcast about that. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that'll come up if you listen to enough sex education and sex therapy podcasts is that the lack of training that wow. people get, even in grad school, and there being the one sex therapy seminar and, and for medical doctors as well, sexual health is, you know, very technical, very like, you know, blood flow and, mm-hmm. and things like that and nothing about pleasure. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're just a long way away from that. I, I have regular therapists send me clients mm-hmm. once it comes time to talking about sex, Wow. which is great for me totally. from a business standpoint, but just a bummer, you know, yeah. I, I wish, cause they've already developed such a great rapport with these clients and done such good stuff with them that of course they should be able to talk about sex too, but they've got to deal with their own hangups about it yeah. on top of their lack of training. So we're just a long way. Do you, I, I assume that's part of your training to get over your own hangups, like oh, totally. everyone and their own. 
what is, can you outline for us what they like what do they tell you they're just like uh, exposure mm. you know really just there there is this thing where it's called the SARS training where you you just you role play and you you get exposed to and taught about like really out there you know bestiality mm-hmm. kinds of things and you know what what are you going to do when you hear that somebody has had fantasies about children before and things like that and all the all the things that you just think should be totally off the table and just then it's a self-exploration thing like okay like how would I deal with that like I'd have to have a boundary there I couldn't treat that person or maybe I could and mm. um and then in supervision and talking about that with somebody in case consultation and because you know, it might bring stuff up for you. It might remind you of, if you've had sexual trauma, it might be kind of hard to go into things like that. Or it might be really personally therapeutic right. while working with it. So it's, in general, therapy is a process like that. Like learning how to be a yeah. therapist, there's just so many trainings and books and seminars and things that expose you to yeah, sometimes pretty tough stuff. What? Tell me if you can't answer this. But- okay. What do you do if someone is like, I have all of these child fantasies? Um, in California right now, there's certain aspects of that where I'd have to report it. Mm. So if if a person has harmed a kid or intending to harm a kid, I right. essentially right. turn them in. Um, but th- there's a downside to that, that this is a population that needs a lot of help. A lot. That needs yeah. a lot of work on... Um, emotion regulation on just staying cool so they don't act out. So it it makes it difficult for them to come into treatment. It's actually not that common um, to see them, especially for me. There are people who specialize in it and you can, a lot of, most of the, unfortunately, most of the pedophilic um, work, it's done in the prisons and and through people getting out of prisons and and stuff like that. Um, But even when it does happen, it's a tough life. Yeah. You know, there, there are people who are, okay, I would never do anything. And, and you establish that and you, and you, and you make sure that even when they're at their worst, that they're really not going to act out. And then you just kind of wow. make it safe for them to just figure that out and then talk about it. And, and it's really, it's, it's, it's grief therapy. Mm. You know, they're like, why the hell was I born like yeah. this? Um, and will you know, will this ever go away? You know, then, then trying things and ayahuasca or whatever and right. trying to just do things. And um, can I accept this about myself? Do Can I not hate myself yeah. for it? And it's just, That's just tough. really sad. That's a tough yeah. lot in life. Really? Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, I would, you would not. Aside from pedophilia, is there something <laughs> in your training that maybe shocked you the most? Something that was just like, oh my gosh, that's a thing? You know, I always come back to um, I, the, the My Little Pony, <laughs> the brony, the, this, but, but the quality of some of that porn, there's this My Little oh, Pony that it's, it. it's like... Um, I guess it's like CGI or whatever it's, but it's pretty sophisticated animation. And when I saw it and it's like ponies fucking each other. Yeah. And, and I wasn't that attached to that show, but I can just imagine somebody from my generation who was seeing something like that. I don't know. It really, I was like the time and money that went into making this, 
and the fetish itself. Like they, that stayed, <laughs> stayed with me for a while. That that was one that, yeah. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of, someone just told me about, it. I believe it's called Vor. Vor, it has to do with like being eaten or like uh, saying, I'm going to eat you. Uh-huh. And like now I've eaten, I've swallowed you and you're in my belly. And that's like, I guess there's a lot of animations that go along with it. Oh, I haven't seen the animated stuff. It. Well, there was um, there was a case. There was a guy that happened out in Germany. There was like a, I think it was Germany, somewhere in Europe. And it was it was a cannibalism fetish that played out, and then the guy oh. obviously died, and then there was a big court case around it and everything. And the, you can hear the guys interviewed. Oh my god! Yeah, it's um, it's dark. That's but, intense. Yeah, that's about all that I've really okay. read about that particular. It hasn't come up. <laughs> Give me back in a few years, and we'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there's one more question okay. I have that I want to ask you. Oh, nope, I've got to go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm so curious to ask this to a professional because what is the deal with guys being obsessed with building it up? Like saving, do you know what I'm talking about? Like saving a load for sex. Hmm. Because on the one hand, it's like sometimes when you master, and I know it's like there's finding the levels, but it's like, I know many men from personal experience that have made a very big deal about saving up the load and not masturbating all week until they see me and this and that. Is that, do people talk about that at all? Um, Well, if they do, I kind of launch into a quick psychoeducation bit where, and we know this from fertility attempts, we know a lot about the reproduction of sperm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, there's a window of like, 48 to 72 hours or, or, or 36 to 60 hours, you Google it. All of our sperm completely replenish. So they, they, they don't, they don't live very long. <laughs> it's just, I think it's like two and a half days. You're, you're going to have, and it's good to masturbate if like, if you're trying to get pregnant every couple of days to, you know, make sure that it's fresh, fresh sperm and it's yeah. not like three day old sperm, yeah. but yeah, they're, they're not really there's, there's not seven day old sperm out there. And if it is, it's not very good sperm. Right. Right. Um, right. Well, I, I, so I just, from a purely personal perspective, every time I hear that, I'm just like, if you come in my mouth, are you going to taste weird? Like I want it. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. I'm I'm always just like curious. I'm like, huh. So maybe I'll, I'm not going to conduct a study, but it's a funny idea. (laughs) That is funny. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that, that, you know, there. Hey, look, there are people that would really disagree with what I'm saying. You know, there's um, spiritual opinions mm-hmm. about uh, sexual energy and chi mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. harnessing that and really, you know, dialing into your body and being able to manifest that. So I can't, I can't prove them wrong, right. so to speak. Um, it's a very personal thing. Totally. Um, yeah. Normally at the end of an episode, I ask people if they could go back in time and give themselves a piece of advice, what age would they pick and what would they say? Huh. But for you, I think it might be better to just say if you had a general piece of wisdom for the public, what might it be? Oh, it would be the same. You know, it's it's to that teenage or college aged guy that statistically should be ejaculating pretty quickly, statistically 
should be having some issues with erections and getting to know their bodies and, and having lots of struggles to just relax and just try and remember that you're doing something that's enjoyable and fun and playful and something that nobody else in the room or at your college or anybody's going to be able to do right now. Like it's just the two of you, maybe three of you. Um, and you're not going to be able to do it tomorrow probably or, or, or in a few weeks or in a few years. So just really try to enjoy it. Try to relax and try not to get in your head about it. And if something goes wrong, I don't want to see you in 10 years having dwelled yeah. on that thing that yeah. happened at that party or your house when you were 17, 18. And just kind of like, let it go. Get back on that horse. I mean, whatever the, the cliche is, next play. Um, yeah. And just uh, not take it so seriously. Sex, sexuality is a lifelong developmental process. And it, from relationship to relationship, it completely evolves and, and devolves and evolves again. So just um, relax. <laughs> Love. Okay. Love. Any other wisdom that needs to be shared? Uh, nope. Great. <laughs> I've told Great. you everything I know. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so. Well, folks, listeners, lovely, sexy humans. That's our show this week. As always, you can find us at sexstoriespodcast.com. Actually, tell us where we can find all of your things. Oh, sure. Um, I have a website, timnortontherapy.com. And Hard Conversations, the podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and all those good places. Um, or the, I, I bought the .com, so it's hardconversationspodcast.com. I am on Twitter at, ooh, Tim Norton LCSW, and that's pretty much it. So TimNortonTherapy.com, Tim Norton LCSW. Excellent. Yeah. And you can find us online at Sex Stories Pod, or my personal is at Wiley. You can feel free to write me an email, write me, oh, oh, I have a new email. It is now Wyo at SexStoriesPodcast.com. So we're really leveling up. And yeah, you guys are lovely. Reach out to me. Let me know if you have any questions. And thank you so much again for coming on. This My pleasure. Amazing. Yeah, Go listen is... to Tim's podcast because it's incredible. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.